Ahoy Mets fans, welcome to episode 244 of Amazing Avenue Audio, the official podcast of your SB Nation New York Mets site, Amazing Avenue. My name is Brian Salvatore, thank you for joining us this week, we truly appreciate it. We are back to a regular show after our double double interview show of last week. So first up, myself and Chris McShane answer your emails and talk about some of the good and some of the bad from the Mets last week or so. Well, Chris, we're back. We didn't chat last week, so we have a couple of emails we're going to get to in a few minutes. But first, we're going to try and do something uh, a little bit new this week. We're going to talk about three good things and three bad things with the Mets. So over over the past you know week or two. So Chris, why don't you start with one one good thing? You'll be shocked to hear me start with Curtis Granderson. <laughs> Truly surprising. Uh, who has just been on fire? Um, it, you know, I thought. When I was making a case in support of him after his terrible month of April, I thought, hey, you know, by the end of the season, he should be back to about where he's been over the last few years as a Met. And, you know, those numbers have been consistent with what he's done in his career, really. Uh, So I will admit, I didn't expect him to get all the way back to that point now, by now. Uh, But he did. (laughs) Um, And then some. Yeah, so it's... It's been interesting for me, not not just because of like it's not like I made the boldest prediction ever. Although to hear the reactions, you would think I did. <laughs> um, but you know, essentially saying that I think this guy will end up around his career numbers is, I think, kind of one of the core concepts of what people often think of as sabermetrics. Um, that you know. That's not really that outlandish, even for a guy who's 36. So it's just been it's a lot of fun to see him do it this fast. And, uh, <clears throat> yeah. And we've talked before about how Granderson just seems like such a good dude. It's nice to see a guy who is legitimately a nice person doing well as well. Yeah, yeah. So it's, you know, it's just... Uh, I got an email about how his uh, his charity, the Grandkids Foundation, is turning 10 this year. So they're doing this, like, big gala. I was like, oh, let me see. Oh, $300 a ticket. Nope. Guess I can't yeah. be afford that. Sorry. <laughs> Sorry, Curtis. I want to support the charity. I really do. But, but I, it, yeah, so I, I would like, you know, clearly uh, we have proven that the person who said that I knew nothing about baseball a couple of weeks ago on Twitter was uh, was correct. <laughs> yeah, not not that I've never never gotten anything wrong, and I'll I'll get to that in a few minutes. But right now, Curtis Granderson, I I owe him a a nice cut of salmon and a beer. <laughs> I I bet you he doesn't drink during the during the season. He seems like he's health conscious enough to wait till the off season to buy him a beer. Yeah, yeah, I'm I sure holds some salmon right now, though. Yes, anytime, day or night, he's DTS. <laughs> so, um, my good thing for this week is that both Rafael Montero and Steven Matz had very good starts. Uh, Matz tonight went seven innings of shutout ball, struck out four, walked only one, gave up, uh, I think it was five hits. And generally looked really, really good. You know, he um, he hasn't been as dominant as we've seen him in the past, but he's been, you know, keeping people off base, keeping those that get on base from scoring, just looking really 
like a very good back end of the rotation starter. And the Mets really needed somebody to to take some of the pressure off DeGrom in terms of uh, giving quality starts. And then Montero had a legitimately good start. We got on the uh, Montero train during spring training, if you recall, Chris. Yeah. And that uh, train derailed like it was part of the New York City subway. hi <laughs> Take that, Governor Cuomo. Um, but yeah, and uh, but it, he he made a start that looked. I mean, I don't think anybody here is necessarily penciling him in for ten more. But he's going to stay in rotation at least temporarily until Gazelma comes back. And uh, you know, if he can put together another start or two like this, I think that's a really interesting story to tell. Then, because here's a guy who was more or less an afterthought for just about everybody in the Mets organization. Uh, he had been a loud prospect and then just for whatever reason just was, I mean, I, I don't think it's overstating it to say that at this point next year, many people, many smart people question whether he'd ever pitch again for the Mets. Oh yeah. Uh, so it's I'm just, I'm happy to see him doing well because I was a, I was a big Montero supporter, you know, five or six years ago when he seemed like he was going to be the next big guy, and it's nice to see him, if not follow through on that promise, at least have a couple of good starts and help the team in some way. Right. I think that's more than anybody could have expected. I I need to see a lot more to to buy it, but as we. Uh... You know, we're looking things up coming into the show. He, he's he got a 3.32 ERA over his last 21 and two-thirds innings. Uh, you know, that's not nothing. You got to do it for 100, I think, before anybody thinks you might be for real. But that's 20% of the way there. So I'm not saying he's going to keep it up. That would be a bold prediction. Yeah, yeah, that one... That that would be great, uh, you know. When when the rotation is fully healthy, uh, Montero should stay in it. They might actually come find me for that one. <laughs> yeah. Uh, but, what, what's but your I, last good thing this week? Oh yeah, yeah. I'd, so, uh, strangely enough, Jay Bruce. <laughs> so yeah, the way things have kind of played out, uh, Bruce came back down to earth significantly in May. Uh, again, not really too bold a concept here. I think he'll probably end up about where he's been over the last few years. But uh, he's avoided getting all the way down to that level uh, with a pretty good month of June, you know? Uh, Granderson's just been so great as a hitter uh, that, you know, it's overshadowed Bruce a little bit. But Bruce has been surprisingly solid and you know, it, it's at the very least, he's making it look like those two terrible years that he had before he came to the Mets. Um, and they, they might have been related to that injury. I forget what it was, but they might have been related to that. They might have just been flukish, whatever the case was. You know, he, he's at least showing he's still a major league hitter. Uh, and, you know, perhaps just the environment of baseball and the way things are with uh, – and, and I don't, I'm, not, I'm not pinning this just on him because every hitter is 
you know, using the same equipment and, and same baseballs. But maybe for Jay Bruce, you know, that extra little bit of distance on fly balls that seems to be uh, commonplace as a result of whatever the baseball is now, uh, you know, maybe that benefits him and his style of play. He certainly hits a lot of balls in the air. Right. You know, so may- maybe that's uh, a type of hitter who can flourish a little bit more now than he could two or three years ago. Uh, so, yeah, it's it's been a pleasant surprise. Uh, and, yeah, I'll, I'll leave it at that. Uh, I haven't quite written up a bench Conforto piece yet. Well, you haven't had to. He's been hurt for a couple of days. So No, I, I, I know, I know. But there's part of me that wants to do it. You know. See, I'm not going that far. No, no, I don't actually think it. I just want to do it. <laughs> okay, fair enough. <laughs> um, we're gonna get to to this a little bit later, but do you think that both Granderson and Bruce at this point have played themselves into being legitimate trade chips if things break that way? Oh yeah, I'd say so. <clears throat> I mean, I think any reasonable GM would have seen them as useful pieces uh in a contending situation you know whether it's as outfielders or uh for the american league teams you know as a dh uh you know i think one thing and i'm being realistic here it will probably come to this i hope it doesn't i hope they rattle off a you know eight to ten game winning streak and uh and kind of turn things around but i've lost hope that that's going to happen wow yeah sorry (laughs) so in in the events that they are trading away pieces uh it certainly doesn't hurt that they've been hitting as well as they have over the last month uh more than a month for granderson and you know i've seen a lot of stuff about potential trade rumors and returns and all that and I think a lot of assumptions that the Mets will get nothing back for guys who I really think that wouldn't be the case for. You know, I'm not saying any of these guys will net you another organization's top prospect. Right. The days of half a season of Carlos Beltran for Zach Wheeler are probably not going to return. So, I don't know. <laughs> I Well, in the times that I think it's probably been his best trait as GM and the times that Alderson has sold players, whether it's at the deadline or coming off a Cy Young season or John Neese for Neil Walker, for some reason, (laughs) Uh, you know, not every move has been great over the years, but uh, Neese doesn't really fall into this category because he wasn't, he was no Carlos Beltran or R.A. Dickey, but you know, it's. I think he's maximized returns uh, in situations where people didn't think it was possible. You know, even the Dickey trade, and it was a long time ago now, but even that trade, uh, you know, it was, what was it, uh, Ghost and Arancibia was basically the, what people kind of accepted as the framework. Right. And then, you know, all of a sudden it was Darno. And he, you know, he obviously hasn't turned into everything that we had hoped he could be, but uh, Syndergaard. <laughs> yeah. Um, so I don't know. And again, like, you know, 
if if you're following the, the the even the minor pieces of that trade, John Buck netted you. Uh, who did who did they trade Buck for? Herrera, Herrera, who then Black. who then what? Herrera and Vic Black and came Vic over Black. the same deal, right? Yeah. Or, no, I Vic think. Black came over. I think for uh, what was the other trade they made with Pittsburgh that year? Uh, the it was shortly. It wasn't the same year, but it was shortly after the Ike Davis. Oh, okay. Like a reliever. Who yeah. had a Z in his name? Zach something or other. Thornton. Yeah. Thornton. Yeah, there you go. Um, but regardless, like, and then you know Herrera got turned into Bruce. So just when you when you think about it, that trade is paying off to to right now. You know, right, uh, and not just in the active players that were a part of that trade. Yeah, um, yeah. the uh, The hardest thing I think for Alderson this year is, I don't think anybody really sees Granderson as a full time player next year. Whereas, and obviously, both he and Bruce are going to be uh, free agents, but. I just think that there's and, and Granderson is playing against his perception, but I think going into this year, no one expected Granderson to sign another big contract next year, and I wonder if that perception is still sticking with Granderson, even though he's having this great season. Yeah, yeah, I don't know. Just not sure. Um, well, I'll start with with one of the bad things from this week. Uh, Jose Reyes is still starting for this team. And I, I just don't get it, Chris. I just uh, don't get it. Yeah, same here. I, as the green man tweeted tonight, uh, Jose Reyes had a good game. Signed that man to an extension. <laughs> yeah. Well, that's part of the problem. I, I think that because he is capital J, capital R, Jose Reyes, anything he does that is remotely good is turned into – Something important and wonderful. Whereas he had a decent game tonight. That's okay. That should be the end of that sentence. There shouldn't be anything more to that. Um, and he's just—he's just—I don't even know what the fuck he's doing anymore. I just—I don't get it. It's—I uh, think this has to be, and I hate to be the conspiracy theorist guy. This has to be either Collins just loving him, or. There has to be something coming from ownership saying they want him on the field. Because I can't see Alderson turning such a blind eye to Reyes. Can you? Uh, I'd like to think not. But it it is bizarre, you know. <clears throat> I, uh, I listened to toward the end of the game and Reyes, you know, he doubled, I think, in the eighth or ninth inning, whatever it was uh, tonight, Wednesday night. Um, and Josh Lunen was saying... You know, all these times that you hear people say that he's done and he's out of it, it's like you can't kill him off. He, you know, he, he comes up with this little burst of uh, success. That hasn't happened all that often, though. You know, he had the two stretches, two spurts, I should say, because the stretch would be something a little bit more long and significant. Uh, more long. Ugh. Uh, longer and significant <laughs> where, where he hit three home runs sort of in a bunch and then he was awful for a month and then he had three home runs in a bunch 
and then he was awful for a few weeks. Um, you know, he he got three hits tonight, one of which was a double. Uh, cool. You know, he's hitting 202, 276, 333 at the moment. Ugh. Uh, he's still one of the worst. Let's see just how far. But he's one of the worst qualified hitters in baseball this year. Um, I, and their their top prospect plays the position they have him playing. Yep. So I just don't get it. And they've had enough injuries over the course of the season to bring up uh, said top prospect and to shift Reyes even to second or third, which I'm not in favor of, but they could have done that. But instead of shifting him back there, they've decided that he is the shortstop for right now. And look, do I think Azdrubal Cabrera is a great shortstop? No, I don't. But do I think that Jose Reyes is significantly better than him? I don't think I do. Right. Even even just defensively, I don't think he's... He certainly has a little bit better range than Cabrera does, but I think if you look at his overall game, I don't think he's... Uh, a better defensive shortstop than Cabrera is, or at least not by much. Yeah. And and just to answer my own uh, thought there, uh, out of 166 qualified hitters at this moment in time, thanks to the uh, live leaderboards on fan graphs, uh, which, are, which are pretty great, out of 166 in weighted runs created plus, uh, if you're unfamiliar, basically Fangraph's version of OPS Plus, Reyes ranks 155th. Wow. That, that's bad. There's a couple other guys on there who are, you know, surprisingly uh, terrible this year, but that doesn't make it any better for Reyes himself. He's just... He's not been good, and I just... I, I don't get it. <clears throat> you know, I mean, we're at a point now where you wonder more if they wouldn't call Rosario up until, say, September if the team doesn't, you know, roar back into contention. Like, like maybe they want to see that first before they decide to use service time, which I think is silly because next year, is there any other plan than Ahmed Rosario is the starting shortstop on this not. team? Of course not. But but of course, this also begs the question: Like, does can't you just see though? So let's say the Mets do come roaring back, right? And they pulled in a couple of games of Washington. Can't you just see the press conference now with Collins saying, "Well, you know, Ahmed Rosario just isn't tested the way that Jose Reyes is, and so we're going to keep playing Reyes uh, for the down the stretch." Like, can't you just see that happening? Yeah. It's so frustrating. Ugh. <laughs> anyway, what's one of your bad things? Yeah, so, uh, just Robert Gazelman. Everything about his season. We'll get to the injury in a, in a bit, but, man, he's just been bad. Now, there's a guy who's had one or two really hopeful starts, but has he shown together two good starts in a row yet? 
I think he, he certainly did. hasn't I, done three. No, I think I think there were back to back starts that were pretty good or or very good. Let's see. Um the time honored tradition of listening to us look, look up things up, on yeah. baseball reference. <laughs> uh, let's see. Yeah, no, we had, we had three. You know what? I'll I'll we'll lower the bar to quality start. Okay. For for the first one. Uh you know, he, he pitched out of the bullpen a couple times, but he went uh, starting on May twenty fourth, a few turns through the rotation. Six innings, three runs, uh, seven innings, two runs, one of which was unearned. Five and a third, two runs, uh, six and a, six and two thirds, no runs. So okay. the you know four start stretch with a two point one six ERA. That'll play. That that seemed like okay. Starting to get to look like the guy that we remembered from what he showed last year, uh, and then. <laughs> Uh, and then the next starts happened, and he gave up 18 runs in, uh, what, 12 innings? 12 and a third innings. Ugh. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I don't know. Um, if I'm taking victory laps for Granderson's success, I will also point out that before the season, I said Robert Gazelman should be in the rotation over Zach Wheeler. <laughs> Fair. Uh primarily because I thought his performance would be better. Also, sort of factoring in how you deal with Wheeler coming back and, and everything else. But it wasn't it wasn't really about those things. It was buying into what he had shown last year and thinking he would just be a better pitcher. And, hey, by the end of the year, that could still happen. But, man, I just – it's just been bad. There are some that have been whispering that perhaps he's been hurt the whole time. Do you put any stock in that? Uh, I don't know. I think it's like my least favorite thing about baseball speculation. You know, you don't hear anyone throwing out there that maybe he's hurt when he's got four great starts going in a row. Right, right. But the second he has a bad start, all of a sudden the whispers come out. Right. So I... I don't know. I I don't really. Uh, I wouldn't really put stock in it myself. It's tough. I mean, I think a lot of guys probably play through more than the average fan realizes. In in every sport, um, but I also hate just excusing bad performance. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, my last bad thing for the week is uh, just the uh, the continued support of the medical and training staff by the Mets front office, despite <laughs> the rash of injuries over the past, oh, 10 years, but specifically over this season. I'm not saying that you throw your staff under the bus. I understand why they're not doing that. But it just seems to me like... Every key player for the Mets, perhaps aside from Bruce and Granderson, has had an injury concern so far this season. And that's problematic. That can't just be bad luck. 
And I feel like for a variety of reasons, it will never be explored beyond the statement released today that they fully support their training and strength and conditioning staff. Yeah. And I know we got an email that we'll get into it a little bit more. Get right into that email? Yeah. Yeah, let's do it. All right. This is from our pal, Wynn in Nashville. With the depressing news of Wheeler headed to the DL with bicep tendonitis, yet another Met is sidelined by injury this year. This rash of ailments has become such a problem that even the New Yorker took a break from their uh, often intellectually dense illustrated laughing squares to poke fun at our beloved snakebit team. I understand that these things just happen in baseball sometimes, and most of it can be chalked up to bad luck, uh, see Adam Eaton DVD injury, but at what point should serious questions be raised of the team's medical staff? What do you think, Chris? At what point does that happen? So... Ron Darling brought it up on the broadcast when Gazelman hurt his hamstring. And I think he undermined slightly a good point with a, a bad one. Uh, you know, he had said that uh, I think the overall point was that, hey, maybe they should look at what they're doing with training and change something. You know, we, we know they've been very proud to uh, to boast about the Barwis stuff in the off season. That's pretty intense. Yeah, I don't I've I've not you know certainly not done any of those workouts or anything. Uh, and I'm not an expert on CrossFit, so you know, if there's some you know, variation of CrossFit uh, that I'm mislabeling it as, I apologize. But to me it looks like you know, CrossFit uh, to the extreme when you see the stuff that the guys do. So I think Ron's point was, hey, let's maybe take a look at that. And, I mean, he was essentially saying less muscle, maybe a little more fat, uh, I think was his overall point. He didn't use those words. But, uh, you know, maybe don't go as crazy with weights and everything, and you'll have less uh, – less chance of getting injured. Now, whether or not that's true, I, I don't know, but I think it, it would be a valid point to say, all right, look at everything that's happening. Maybe we change the approach to how we have these guys train in the off season. Maybe we lighten it up a little bit. Um, and then he undermined it, I think, with a suggestion that the trainers of today talk to trainers from 20 or 30 years ago uh, you know, sort of uh, implying that players back then didn't get hurt. And I think that's a almost certainly a misconception. Uh, I'm sure injuries happened quite a bit. They might have been different injuries. Uh, you know, there might not have been as much intense focus on individual, individual teams uh, as there is now. So... Yeah, I, I so to hit to that point and the point here in the email, uh, I certainly think it's something they should consider. You know, does it does it make sense to push guys to the max in the off season, uh, and then start a baseball season that way? Uh, you know, I don't know. I don't know. Like which 
Which of the four sports has the fewest injuries? Basketball, probably? Oh, that's an excellent question. I don't follow basketball enough to know. Yeah. Yeah, no, same here. So it's just... Yeah, I don't know. Um, I think it, it... I don't know that the medical staff has necessarily done anything egregious um you know it's if they weren't dealing with doctors from like the highly regarded orthopedic hospital uh maybe i'd question it a little bit more you know but that it's not like they uh are employing dr nick Uh, i wish they were all right our next question is from mikey from corning do you think that the recent drama with Cabrera had anything to do with why Rosario is still trapped down in AAA? He had mentioned he's tried to get the team to pick up his option on at least two occasions. I'm quite certain Cabrera's request for a trade and public statements aren't coming as any surprise to Sandy Alderson at this point. This is likely the culmination of a back and forth that's been going on since the end of last season. Perhaps the reason Rosario wasn't called up the day the Mets avoided Super 2 status with him was some kind of way to appease Cabrera. To guarantee him playing time or maybe buy him buy some time to find a trade partner before he goes public with his wish to be traded. Also looking forward, how do you feel about the top of this order we've got tentatively lined up for 2018 of Rosario, Smith, Conforto, and Cespedes? Is that the order you'd run them out there? That does seem like a little more of a balanced lineup and far better defensively. Here's hoping for a quick turnaround for 2018. Mikey. Uh, let's deal with the first part of the question first. Do you think that uh, the Azdrubal Cabrera contract situation has anything to do with the um, Ahmed Rosario situation? I guess so. I mean, it's sort of been an odd thing. And I, I was away uh, while well, some of this was going on, but I tried to catch up and get a little bit of a sense of it all. Uh, I think Cabrera has been an important part of the clubhouse uh you know, both from what we see during games on TV and then what you hear generally. Uh, So rocking the boat too much with him could be a factor. But I don't know. Like, does he react the same way if it's Rosario as as he did with Reyes? You know, there might... Maybe not. Maybe he does the exact same thing, but... You know, maybe he'd be a little bit more understanding of the reality of things with the young, you know, consensus top five prospect in baseball uh, coming up. Yeah, I don't know. It's uh, it's a weird situation. However you shake it, it's a weird situation. Um, I don't know. I think Cabrera is just probably frustrated at. I mean, I don't want to speak for him. I would think he'd be frustrated at the way the Mets seemingly don't have a plan that they're sticking to. Like, that's the thing that bugs me as a fan. If the Mets said our priority is to bring Rosario up and to get him acclimated to playing in the major leagues, then Cabrera could either get on board with that or not get on board with that, and that would be his choice. But this whole, we're committed to Ahmed Rosario for the future, but we're not calling him up yet. But we're not gonna just. Uh, but we're not gonna leave Cabrera at shortstop. We're gonna move Reyes there. But maybe we're gonna move Reyes to third at some point. And it's just it's all so fuzzy, and none of it really makes a ton of sense. And I think he's rightly frustrated. Do I think that going public with a trade request is the best way to handle it? Well, probably not. But 
I've never been in the same. I've never been in a similar situation that he's been in. So who am I to judge? Um. But to get to the second part of the question about a proposed lineup of uh, Rosario, Smith, Conforto, and Cespedes one through four, what do you think about that, Chris? Uh, <laughs> well, you know I'm not in a rush for Dom Smith. Right. Uh, but, you know, if it shakes out that way next year, I, I think that's putting a lot of pressure on those two guys. Yeah. And I need to see some major league stuff. Now, that said, I don't want them to hit 7th and 8th forever, if it is the two of them. But, you know... It's funny how this situation would be alleviated if Rosario was just playing now. Yes. (laughs) Um, You know, in terms of being far better defensively, uh, you know... The, the Rosario, I think, is more of the upgrade. I know Smith has a really good reputation, uh, as has often been the case, I think, due to his defense is vastly underrated by uh, Mets fans. Agreed. So, yeah, I don't know. Uh, I, I think Rosario would be a, a big enough upgrade defensively that you could say that. Um, but, yeah, I don't, I don't know. Maybe in 2019 or halfway through 2018, if things have gone really well for both of those guys as hitters, then sure, let's set the lineup that way. But in the short term, I, I wouldn't want to put that lineup in that order. Right. I'm also probably the last person feeling this way, but I really hope the Mets resign due to this offseason. Uh, yeah, me too. You know, if, if that means Dom Smith has to spend a little more time developing or is blocked. I'd rather have that problem than Dom Smith starting the year as your starter and having absolutely no backup plan if it doesn't work. Right. Um, and and they don't. There isn't. You know, <laughs> there just isn't one. Not not for 2018. Yeah. Uh, somebody I saw on Twitter had an interesting comp for Smith, and this is obviously there's a lot of differences here. But sort of a, a first baseman without that traditional uh, pop was Billy Butler. And yeah. I feel like Billy Butler was a player that Mets fans coveted for a little while. Do you remember that? Yeah. And uh, But the reality of Billy Butler was never the upside of Billy Butler. Never even came close to it. And I think Mets fans as it is, tend to be pretty conservative on the on the roles that players play. Like, I think Mets fans overall prefer the closer to be a, a set person versus a, a rotating committee or whatever, the more, you know, advanced sabermetric idea of what a closer should be. And I think that Mets fans, even though we've had one of the best defensive first basemen who didn't hit a lot of home runs, I think Mets fans overall want a first baseman that's going to hit some home runs for you. And I think a couple of months of Smith, even if Smith is hitting, you know, uh, a fair amount for average, if he's not hitting for power, I could see the fan base getting pretty tired of that pretty quickly. Oh, yeah. You know, we're uh, we're not the most patient fan base in the world sometimes. No. <laughs> um, yeah. Anything else to add to that question? No, no. 
And uh, that sums it up. All right. That brings us to our final email of the week, which comes from David. David says, okay, you guys killed my Dom Smith, the Kansas City, and then side Hosmer deal. But you did agree to trading some of the soon-to-be free agents for young double uh, AAA relief like power and power arms was a good idea. So with that being in mind, uh, I'm kind of tired of hearing from so many people how they aren't going to be enough buyers for Mets players. I totally disagree. We know Reed can go anywhere, but what about the Angels? One guy made of the wild card. Trask coming back. You're telling me they can't use Neil Walker? Their second baseman is hitting 180. Heck, Cabrera could help them. Angels could also use Granderson and left. Twins right in the middle of the division, a wild card. You're telling me Jay Bruce isn't a better fit for this year than uh, Kepler or Rosario? Blue Jays, only three games have wild card spark. Could use Granderson or Bruce over Pierce for in left versus righties. Sorry, just scrolling down here to the bottom of this email. Um, Mariners in the wild card hunt could use Grandy or Bruce and move uh, Garmel to center. Yankees, if they put both their they put their BS aside, there is a fit for Duda. And the Orioles, there is a fit for infield depth with Isdribble Cabrera. I can go on and on. I know we know Henry Ramirez will get hurt this year. And it's just a matter of when. Uh, imagine Duda or Bruce in that spot. I think it's crap. There are spots to get these guys to go to. I know we aren't getting A plus prospects back, but if we can get a few B or B plus kids, why not do it? And that comes from David Ramos again. So yeah, sorry to scoop that entire question. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I do appreciate the detail there, though, because I think it's, I don't know, I think it's a little bit lazy uh, when you have people who say what David's complaining about here say that there aren't fits. You know, it's. I think it's easy to write off some players on the team because of the team's record, but the pitching has just been awful. Uh, that doesn't mean that the position players haven't been good. You know, uh, I think I think all the guys he named are guys who could help you. Uh, you know, the there may not be a ton beyond that. Uh, certainly not guys who the Mets are willing to trade, but. You know, it's a bunch of guys who, if it comes to it, I think you could get good players. Uh, not every one of them is going to pan out, but you can get get some guys who might be able to help you next year. I, I also like the idea of uh, relief pitcher, you know, power arms. That's something this organization doesn't have a ton of right now. You know, in, in a theoretical world where all of the pitchers, starting pitchers, everybody are healthy. Maybe a couple of them are in the bullpen and they and they really, you know, succeed out there. But, you know, we've seen the internal options in the bullpen just aren't I don't know. They're not they're not getting it done. They're certainly not dominating. Uh so if you can bring in guys who, who might be able to do that and have a cheap, good bullpen, uh I'm on board. I agree. I agree. Um, obviously, there's a sort of uh, implied date here that the trade deadline is when these decisions have to be made by. But if you were at the Mets, what do you have to see before you decide if you're buyers or sellers this year? Is there a date in your mind that isn't the trade deadline? Uh, I mean, I would guess maybe a week week and a half before the trade deadline. I know the all-star break kind of makes for a a clean 
break uh, for that sort of thing, right? But I would say, you know, they come out of the All-Star break, which runs from the 10th to the 13th of July. Uh, they come out of the All-Star break. They play the Rockies for three, the Cardinals for four, and the A's for three before they go out to the West Coast to face the Padres and Mariners and then it's the trade deadline, right? So I'd say before that West Coast trip starts, they would have to get into a position where, you know, where you're, uh, I'd say within four, four or five games of a playoff spot. And even that, depending on how many teams there are ahead of you or whatever, that that might not really be a great situation to, to go for it or stand pat, but I think they've at least got to get to that point. You know, that you, if you get to that point and you go into that last week of July, you could say, all right, here you go, guys. You know, go have a great West Coast trip or, you know, six of you are out of here. Um, you don't. You wouldn't present it exactly that way, <laughs> but 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 they, they, you know they could they could buy themselves a little more time and, and see how that goes. But yeah, I, I mean the the way the season is gone, it's just you get this good stretch, and then all of a sudden they fall two games deeper below five hundred, and then they have a good stretch and they struggle, and uh, you know over time. They dip a little more and a little more. They, there's got to be – you don't necessarily have to win eight or ten games in a row, but you got to win eight out of nine or, or ten out of 11, you know, something right? Something really strong. Yeah, I, I would think that you, you pretty much nailed it. I think a week before the trade deadline, you have to be realistic about everything. Now that doesn't mean that if they that if they're buyers that they're necessarily going to make the playoffs either, but you have to be in a position where that doesn't seem crazy. Um, we we talked uh, via uh, text a couple of days ago about how we wish we put a bet down on Granderson's OPS early in the season. Uh, yeah. If you were a gambling man, would you gamble the Mets are going to be buyers or sellers come the trade deadline? Uh, I would say sellers. I think so too. And I guess last question before we, I let you go for the night: Who's the one player you hope they they hold on to of the eligible free agents? Who's uh, the guy you want to see end the season as a Met? Hmm. Man, if I can only choose one, it's tough, but it might be Walker. Why is that? I'm just not entirely sold. Uh, you know, second and third base next year could be up in the air if he's gone. And I'm not saying that he's necessarily willing to to play third base. I don't know if he's if he would be good at it. Um, just want one less spot in the infield that's completely uncertain. I feel like you going to Pittsburgh and talking to all those Pirates fans. Has uh, has to do with, with Walker Fever. That may very well be the case. <laughs> it's tough. The other, the, my my one uh, A answer would be Duda. Yeah, Duda's my answer. Yeah, and 
It's only because Dom Smith might be a good major leaguer, and there's not there's not a second baseman. Yeah, I mean, maybe somebody proves themselves over the course of this season. You don't believe in Gavin Giacchini? I mean, hey, all he's done is a major leaguer in a very tiny sample. But all, all he's done so far is hit. Uh, you know, calling back to earlier here in, the, in our conversation, I need to see it for a lot longer. <laughs> right. Uh, but, yeah, you can't. To me, it's it's one of the infielders. I love Granderson and and Bruce has uh, exceeded expectations, but you have Conforto, Cespedes, Ligaris, and no. theoretically money to spend or a trade to be made in free agency uh, to to maybe help out center field. So you just and can't people still believe in Nimmo. Maybe yeah, yeah, yeah. No, and I I, I wouldn't write him off entirely. Uh, <laughs> But yeah, it's you know you can't go into 2018 with an infield of Smith, Chikini, Rosario, Flores. They probably will, though, won't they? I don't know. I, I I don't think their payroll will go up. I don't necessarily think it will even match what it's at this year. But I I would, and you know this might be a the boldest prediction of all. I think they might actually spend a little bit of money. Uh, in the off season, and and in fairness to them, they've spent more over the last few years. You know, we're we're at least uh, relatively far removed from the days of ninety million dollar payrolls. <laughs> I'm I'm biting my tongue from just saying, well, that's inflation, Chris. But yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, I hope you're right, but we'll see. I'm very interested to see where our conversation is on uh, July 28th. Yeah. Looking back on better days, here's a rundown of the five best games from another NL pennant winning season, the year 2000. At number five, it's July 14th at Fenway Park in Boston. The Mets, looking for their first World Series appearance in 14 years, were engaged in a tough three-game set against the team that they beat back in 1986. The Red Sox walked off to take the opener and took an early lead in Game 2. New York got to former Met Pete Shurek with one in the fourth and two in the fifth, but Boston responded with three unanswered runs of their own. The back-and-forth nature of this game swung for the last time in the Mets' favor. And that swing came from Mike Piazza's bat. His home run, with Edgardo Alfonso on base, thrust New York back on top 5-4. They added a much-needed insurance run as Armando Benitez walked another ninth-inning tightrope, allowing the winning run to come to the plate. But a strikeout ended any chance of a Red Sox rally. 6-4 was the final. On to number 4, 15 days later at home against the St. Louis Cardinals. An injury to Ray Ardonez necessitated a move near the trade deadline for a shortstop. In comes Mike Bordick from Baltimore, acquired primarily for his defense, but it was power that was displayed in his very first at-bat. Leading off the third inning, Bordick's homer opened the scoring and drew a standing ovation from the Shea crowd. The fans stood up once more when Mike Piazza, a more likely home run candidate, launched a gargantuan shot in the sixth. That tied it at three 
and with one out in the last of the eighth, pinch-hitting extraordinaire Lenny Harris drove home Robin Ventura with the single and the eventual game-winning run. At number three, it's a meeting with the Milwaukee Brewers on September 13th, where Mike Hampton was having a stellar outing. Unfortunately, the Mets' offense was asleep through eight innings, as Jeff D'Amico shut them down to the tune of ten strikeouts. But a wake-up call came in the ninth, when Kurt Laskanek came in to close. Jay Payton led off with a double and was advanced to third on an Edgardo Alfonso groundout to the right side of the infield. Mike Piazza struck out, leaving New York down to its last out. But Robin Ventura delivered a clutch at bat, doubling down the left field line to keep the game going. The Brewers failed to score in the top of the 10th. The Mets needed just one run in the bottom half. Jay Payton got three on a two-out home run with two men aboard. It was the Mets' 83rd victory of the season and moved them closer to a playoff berth. We go from a September game to the second game of the regular season and the number two game in 2000. The Mets were the visiting team against the Chicago Cubs, but their road trip went much further than Wrigley Field. Instead, the opening two games of the 2000 campaign took them to Tokyo, with the Mets and Cubs alternating as home clubs. Chicago won the opener, but the Mets used some extra inning heroics to take the second, namely Benny Agbayani. With the score tied at one in the 11th, the Hawaiian native came up with the bases loaded in a pinch-hitting roll. Danny Young's offering was driven over the center field wall for a grand slam and the difference in New York's 5-1 win. Not bad for your first at-bat of the season. But that game is not first on our list. Instead, at number one, it's one of the greatest comebacks in team history, which just so happened to come against the Mets' biggest rival during that era. For the steps the Mets were making under Bobby Valentine, the Braves were always stomping on their toes, and for seven and a half innings on June 30th at Shea, there was no indication that the Mets would best the team that they constantly look up to. The Braves were ahead, and not barely. It was 8-1. to one. Baseball logic suggests to chip away at such a large deficit and hope your pitching staff can prevent the dam from bursting any further. But in the bottom of the eighth inning, there is no such time for such a strategy. Derek Bell began paving the Mets' comeback trail with a base hit. Edgardo Alfonso, though, flied out. Mike Piazza singled, and Bell moved to third. Robin Ventura's ground ball to second base resulted in an RBI, but elicited little hope, for the mountain to climb was getting steeper. But Todd Zeal singled, driving home Piazza, and the line kept moving. Jay Payton, Benny Agbayani, pinch hitter Mark Johnson, Melvin Mora, Bell again, and Alfonso again, each reached base to help draw the Mets even. The comeback prophecy, forged by small ball, was near complete. Now it was time for Piazza, the 11th batter of the inning, to deliver the explosion he was so well suited for. It took just one pitch for Piazza to turn a Terry Mulholland offering into a heat-seeking missile aimed for the left field corner. Fortunately, it didn't hook enough to go foul. Instead, it struck the wall above and beyond the outfield fence in fair territory. Piazza fiercely pumped his right fist as Shea Stadium went into a frenzy. The Mets had their most productive inning, and shortly after, a thrilling 11-8 win. That's all for this list. I'm Brian Wright. Once again, you can follow me on Twitter, at BrianWright86.
Hi, this is Aaron York for Amazing Avenue Audio, and today we're going to talk about a couple reasons to be optimistic about the near future of our favorite franchise, the New York Mets. I'm recording this on a Wednesday, and last night the Mets were just defeated by the Miami Marlins. Robert Gazelman left with a hamstring injury, trying to beat out a single, and that caused Ron Darling uh, in the SNY booth to finally go off. You got the feeling he was holding this in for a while to, to criticize the Mets on how they managed their players' health with, uh, with how they condition them and how whatever they're doing is not working. He talked about the players having big muscles, but it not being the kind of condition they need to be in for the 162-game baseball season. And that's been the biggest frustration this year has been the player injuries with Matt Harvey and Noah Syndergaard and now Robert Gazelman. This team has needed to use so many starting pitchers, whether it be Tyler Pill filling in or Rafael Montero, who at least his last time out was pretty decent. And, of course, even if the team was completely healthy, the bullpen has been so miserable. It again let in the winning run last night when Ichiro hit a single against Jerry Blevins. So we know this team has a lot of problems. Um, the biggest problem is either the bullpen or the health. The problem with the health thing is that Adam Rubin, formerly of ESPN New York, now he's contributing a bunch of different places, whether it be to the New York Post or to SNY.TV. He tweeted that the Mets have a vested interest in Mike Barwis, the guy in charge of strength and conditioning, who who apparently encouraged Ioannis Cespedes and Noah Syndergaard to get all jacked up this offseason before they landed on the disabled list. The Mets have a business relationship with him, or at least the ownership does, the Wilpons do, and that's going to make just getting rid of this problem, it's going to make it more complicated. So hopefully... If the Mets don't get rid of Barwis, which doesn't look like they're going to, according to that tweet, hopefully he finds a way to correct the issues that have plagued this 2017 version of the Mets. But on to optimism. Travis no at a home run last night. Um, I was glad to see him get the start after Rene Rivera on Sunday hit two home runs. I was afraid that, especially in this season, where it's important that the Mets find out what they have and their younger guys like Darno, who because of his injuries, the Mets don't really know if he's going to be a future asset or not. So afraid they would send him to the bench and ride Rivera, which is, is something they could do if they were closer to the lead in the National League East. But they went back to Darno, and it was good to see him get a home run because I was looking at his stats the other day. His on-base percentage is still below 300 for the year, but he's not striking out that much. He's walking at a decent pace. The main culprit is his really low BABIP. And if you look at his his isolated power is actually higher than his, his BABIP so far, which says a lot about his isolated power. And it says a lot about how he's hitting into a lot of outs despite striking out fewer than 20% of the time. So Dono's making, making a decent amount of contact. He's hitting for a really solid amount of power for a catcher. It's just not showing up in the OPS or the on-base percentage right now. So that's someone that Mets should stick with. 
Travis Darnell, he could still, if he, if he just stays healthy, and a lot of his injuries have been just taking a ball off the wrist, like Michael Conforto just did, or taking a ball off the foot. Uh, you know, not soft tissue injuries, just contact injuries with the baseball, kind of unlucky stuff. So if they could just keep him healthy, he could still be a future asset for this team. They could, if they wanted to, they could get him on a long-term deal pretty cheap around now. There's not a lot of other catching in their system. We know Kevin Plawecki hasn't really worked out. So I think just letting Travis Darno work through his BABIP issues and continue to hit for power this year could really help the team in the future. The other really hot player for this team, although Darno's not just not really hot, it's just good that he hit a home run last night to stave off what could be an extended run of Rene Rivera. The really hot player for this club is Curtis Granderson, who hit another leadoff home run against the Marlins to give the Mets a 1-0 lead last night, and he is just playing himself into what could be a great trade ship for the Mets as his contract expires after this season. He's been a great asset for the Mets since they signed him four years ago to that 60-something million-dollar deal. He's now hitting 234, 326, 464. It seems like just yesterday that his on-base percentage was well below below 300, but he's been all you know, he's been doing is walking, hitting home runs, getting on base at the top of the order, and just being a huge asset for this club recently. It's going to create some lineup issues for the Mets, but like always, their injuries seem to solve problems for Terry Collins. Solve, I guess, is in quotation marks because Michael Conforto has just been diagnosed with a bone bruise in his wrist. And wrists are pretty important for hitters, so that's probably going to keep him on the shelf for a while, unfortunately. I like to think that he's had enough success this year and in parts of last year to convince us that he is a certain future asset for this team, although we don't know how big of an asset he is going to be a big part of the team for the next five years, most likely. So while it stinks that Conforto is is hurt, the Mets might... It might work out for the Mets in the long run because if they're playing Granderson every day, it's gonna. It looks like it's gonna make him a better trade asset, and the same goes for Jay Bruce. So the team, as it's as it is stands right now, with them a lot of game, several games back in the standings, it might be better for Granderson and Bruce to play every day and pump up their trade value. And the same goes for Isdrubal Cabrera, who just returns to the lineup. He's not hitting for a lot of power this year, but. Maybe he could help out somebody if they can convince him to play another position. It's just funny that by asking for a trade, he hurt his trade value because he was kind of saying, I don't want to play a different position. And maybe he, maybe he doesn't know this, but I don't think a lot of teams out there are going to look for Asdrubal Cabrera to play shortstop because it's just been super ugly this year. So good luck getting traded for Asdrubal Cabrera. I think he really hurt his prospects with his poor attitude we know that the Chicago Cubs aren't looking to put up with stuff like that. That's a contending team that, well, they wouldn't trade for a shortstop, but they, they could trade for uh, a pitcher, a relief pitcher like Addison Reed, and we know they don't put up with poor attitude because after the Nationals stole seven bases on them on Wednesday night, Miguel Montero said, it looks bad for me, but this is really the pitcher's fault, and he pointed his finger at the pitchers, and that resulted in Montero getting DFA'd. Uh, this morning on Wednesday morning. So I love I love that move from the Cubs. They said if you're not a team player, just get out. We have Wilson Contreras who has a higher ceiling, and we don't we don't need you here. So 
Maybe the Mets could do that with Cabrera after he publicly asked for a trade and is refusing to play other positions, even though he's clearly not a good shortstop this year. So I would love to see the Mets partway with Cabrera. I would love to see them partway with Reyes. But what we have now is a good trade ship in Curtis Granderson, a player who looks like he's on the rise in Travis Darno. As soon as his those balls he puts into play start landing in, I think it's going to really start looking good for Darno. Been happy what he's been doing lately, and that's about all I've got this week. I know I rambled a lot. I think the main, the main takeaways are Ron Darling going off on the Mets' strength and conditioning. You have more injuries with Gazelman and Conforto, although. The Conforto one, obviously, is a freak thing with him getting hit by a pitch. You have the Conforto injury maybe being good for trade ships like Curtis Granderson and Jay Bruce. I think that's the most important thing as we get close to the trade deadline. Curtis Granderson currently, uh, just a few weeks ago, looked like he was going to be a non-asset and a non-factor of the trade deadline, just playing himself into what could bring the Mets back a prospect or two. So that's really cool. Uh, Curtis Granderson, just a, a joy to watch. He's a great human being and and a guy that's easy to root for, which you can't say for every player on this team without a doubt, but that's part of what it's like to be a Mets fan. So with that, I'll uh, say goodbye for now. This has been Aaron York from Mason Avenue Audio. Hey everyone, this is Steve Seiper, and I'm back to go over our minor league players of the week for week 12 now. So, for the past week, the Las Vegas 51s went 2-4 and four for the week, putting them at 29-46 and 46 for the year, which is now 12 games behind the Salt Lake Bees. The Binghamton Rumble Ponies went 4-3 and three this week, giving them a 39-30 and 30 record, putting them 6 games behind the Trenton Thunder for first place. The St. Lucie Mets went 4-3, and three, which makes them 34 and 37 overall, and one and two for the second half. The Charlotte Stone Crabs and the Palm Beach Cardinals are both tied for first, and St. Lucie is currently one game behind both of them. Columbia Fireflies went one and three for the week, losing out on clinching the division thanks to their loss last Sunday, and are 41 and 30 overall, and one and two in the second half, putting them a game behind the Asheville Tourists and the Charleston River Dogs. Brooklyn started their season this week, and they are currently 2-3 and three with a rain postponement on opening day, and are two games behind the Staten Island Yankees for first place. And finally, the Kingsport Mets also started their season this week. Kingsport went 2-0 and with a rain postponement, and they're currently sitting at the top of the Appalachian League West with the Elizabethan Twins and the Johnson City Cardinals both a half a game behind them. Alright, so our pitcher of the week for week 12 is Binghamton Pony, Rumble Pony right-hander Chris Flexen. Flexen pitched one game this week, going seven innings and getting the win. He allowed one earned run on five hits, walking none and striking out eight. So Flexen was drafted out of Newark Memorial High School as a 17-year-old with the Mets' 14th round draft pick in 2012. He had a commitment to Arizona State, and a lot of people thought that he'd go there, but the Mets offered him almost $400,000, and that's a lot of money for a 14th round draft pick, so in the end, he took the money. He played out uh, the rest of the 2012 season with Kingsport, and then spent 2013 there as well. Uh, he got the promotion to full season ball in 2014, 
when he was promoted to the Savannah Sandnats, and he only pitched about a half a season or so before going on the DL due to a triceps inflammation that eventually turned into Tommy John surgery. So he missed the rest of the 2014 season and then most of the 2015 season. But almost a year to the date that he underwent the surgery, he got back on the field um, to get in some GCL rehab games. And he eventually pitched his way back to Savannah where he made a few starts. And the results looked good. The stuff looked just as good as as it was before the surgery. So everything looked good. Um... He took on an entire season's workload last year for the first time. He made 25 starts, and he threw 134 innings. And the results were solid, if slightly pedestrian. He posted a 3.56 ERA, allowing 125 hits, 51 walks, and striking out 95. During spring training 2017, Flexen was scratched from a start that he was supposed to make, and it turned out that he had to go undergo surgery to remove uh, bone spurs from his knee. So that kept him out of action until mid-May or so, uh, when he made a few starts for St. Lucie. Then he was promoted to Binghamton at the beginning of June, uh, but unfortunately, after just making three starts, he was put on the DL again. Hopefully he's activated soon, because when I heard him and Molina were both promoted to Binghamton, I got tickets to their series in Reading. So I would like to see him. It's not likely, but it would be pretty amazing to see uh, Marcos Molina... Chris Flexen, PJ Conlin, and Mickey Janis during that four-game series in Reading, but I'm not holding my breath on that, unfortunately. So Flexen has a pretty solid base to work with. Uh, his fastball sits 92 to 96 with good arm side movement, and it gets late life. And he complements that with an above-average curveball, an effective changeup, and a slider. He's able to command all four of his pitches and throw them for strikes, but occasionally his secondary stuff loses its crispness and he runs up uh, high pitch counts. One of the biggest knocks against Flexen is that his mechanics are uh, a bit high effort, and that makes him injury prone. Um, There's a lot of different camps out there when it comes to what good mechanics are, what bad mechanics are, and all that, but I'm in this camp. Uh, When a pitcher strides and his front leg hits the ground, his arm should be cocked, it should be below the shoulders, and his elbow should be bent so that his forearm is pointing up. Flex. I know it's hard to visualize, but you know, just try to keep up with me here. Flexing when he pitches, his arm is above the shoulders, and it's still rotating and parallel to the ground. Uh, that kind of those kind of mechanics, they put pressure on the elbow and the shoulders. And while there's a lot of variables when it comes to you know Tommy John surgery and other pitcher injuries, but the you know the added stress on the elbow and the shoulders, it's not helpful. Um, I know it's kind of hard to visualize, but I saw a good photo journal online comparing different pictures. Uh, I don't remember the website off the top of my head, but go look up a picture of Tom Seaver or Nolan Ryan, and then compare where their arms are to Matt Harvey or to Chris Flexen, and you'll better visualize what I mean when it comes to where their arms are when it's in the cock position. So honestly, I feel like we are a little low on Flexen coming into the season, um... We named him the Mets' top 21st prospect on our list for 2017, with Greg being the most uh, bullish on him, naming him 18, me naming him 20, and Lucas leaving him off the top 25 altogether. Um, on our list, Andrew Church, he was in front of Flexen. Ricky Knapp, he was in front of Flexen. Phil Evans, he was in front of Flexen. I... 
think that's an oversight on our part. Um, for what it's worth on my own list, the only questionable guys I put in front of Flexen were David Thompson, and he's a guy I've been high on, and I still am, and Ricardo Cespedes, another guy that I'm high on that has gotten less than impressive reviews this season. But in retrospect, I would put Flexen in front of both of those guys. I mean, he's a guy, he has, you know, a low to mid-90s fastball, an above-average uh, curveball, and two other secondary pitches that, you know, work for him. That's a guy who has a floor of, you know, a uh, um, mid-level mid reliever and um, a ceiling of, you know, a, a mid-level starting pitcher. And I don't think that a few of those guys, I don't think that Church, Evans, Ricky Knapp, I don't think those guys have the same kind of fleers, floors or ceilings that Flexion does. But it is what it is, so we will see. <clears throat> and now, the hitter of the week is St. Lucie Mets first baseman, Peter Alonso. He went 11 for 24 with five doubles, three home runs, 13 RBI, three walks, five strikeouts, and a caught stealing for good measure. So for those of you who are unfamiliar with Alonso, he was the Mets' second, dra- second round draft pick last year, drafted out of the University of Florida. He was at third selection overall after Justin Dunn and Anthony Kay. There was a lot of buzz and some gnashing of teeth around the Mets drafting Will Craig with their first round pick. Um, they didn't pick him, obviously, and Craig went a few picks later, uh, selected by the Pirates. And a lot of people were not looking forward to the possibility of the Mets picking uh, Craig. I was one of them, and they didn't, and I was happy, and all those other people were happy. And with their second-round pick, they got Alonzo, a guy that is arguably on the same level as Craig um, with the 64th-round pick. 64th overall pick, excuse me. Uh, with the Gators, Alonzo hit a cumulative 316, 407, 517. He was solid as a freshman, pretty good as a sophomore, and great as a junior. Uh, he hit 374, 469, 659 with 14 homers. He was assigned to Brooklyn after he signed with the Mets, and despite being limited to only 30 games with them because of a broken hand, uh, he was definitely their best hitter. That's a testament to how bad <laughs> the Cyclones' offense was last year, and to how uh, well Alonso did with them. He hit 321, 382, 587, hitting five home runs. And those five home runs might, might not sound too impressive, but you got to take into account that a MCU park is kind of a pitcher's park, especially when the Atlantic Ocean uh, is blowing hard from left. And B, he hit those five home runs in 102 at-bats. You know, most guys that play for Brooklyn get about 200 to 250 or so at-bats. So you could extrapolate, you know, from there and say that if Alonzo had 200 at-bats, he was on pace for about 10 homers, give or take. And that would have been, you know, the most since Corey Vaughn um, set the Cyclone record for 14 homers back in 2010. So the Mets skipped him over low A and assigned him to high A to start the year, which is a reasonable assignment, given he's an advanced college hitter. And so far, the season has been pretty disappointing for him. Uh, He went on the DL literally in the first week of the season after breaking a finger, and he was activated at the end of May, 
So he has about a month's worth of at-bats under his belt. Um, coming to the week, he was hitting 167, 217, 269 with two home runs. That's pretty bad. But he was uh, he was as hot as anyone else in baseball this week. And he got his batting line up to 235, 295, 451 with five home runs. That's still not that great, but it's a lot better than it was a few days ago. And maybe Alonso finally has his sea legs under him, and he'll, you know, continue to hit decently. So Alonso isn't a divisive player, necessarily, but there are a lot of people that like him and have liked him since last year. There are a lot of people that didn't like him last year and still don't really like him. And people that might have liked him last year, but don't really anymore. Um, I fall into the first camp. I like him, and I still do, despite some unimpressive overall numbers and some less-than-stellar reports from the FSL. Um, Even before the season, the jury was kind of out on his ability to hit. He has a long swing, he kind of has a noisy hand path, and he opens his hips early. And all of that combined with him not having plus bat speed makes him susceptible to pitches on the outer half and pitchers busting him in. Personally, that doesn't bother me as much as other people because, I mean, it's not like he's a finished product. I could, you know... If I could see some of those things that he does wrong, so do the professionals that the Mets employ. And, you know, a couple of seasons working with professional hitting coaches is going to help him quiet his swing, you know, to a degree and make it more efficient. I'm not saying he's going to become Ted Williams, obviously, but, you know, Alonzo is a strong enough base and he's coachable enough to hopefully make some strides. His power, which is his main calling card, you know, no one questions that. He has easy plus power. And like I've said in our 2017 um, top 25 prospect list, you can't teach that. You can't. You can teach a guy to hit better. You could teach a guy to be more selective at the plate. You know, whatever. But you can't teach a guy how to be as strong as an ox. And Alonso, you know, he is. Defensively, um, he's gotten some bad reviews. Um, and as a right-handed first baseman, unless you're Paul Goldschmidt, you know, you're going to be working at his disadvantage to begin with. But I could live with, you know, a subpar first baseman as long as he's making the basic plays. And from all the reports that I've heard, he is making the basic plays for the most part, except they're a little sloppy. Um, But again, he's not a finished product, so he still has plenty of time to tighten up on his uh, defensive issues. In college, he played third base, and in theory, he still could. You know, he has a strong arm, and what he lacks in range... He does have good instincts, and he showed quick reaction times to plays. Uh, The recent report from BP about the bad weight means that his poor range is probably even more compromised. So if anyone had any thoughts about switching him back over to third base, that will have to be addressed. Um, I don't know if it would be a good idea switching him back over to begin with and seeing what happens, but Dom Smith is in front of Alonzo on the Lucas Duda replacement list. So if Smith sticks, you know, Alonzo's going to be out of luck. And for a guy with that much raw power, I would personally just want to see if there's any way to get that into the lineup. But, you know, obviously I'm years ahead of myself here. Um, So we will see. So those are our Amazing Avenue Audio Mets Minor League Players of the Week for Week 12. This is Steve Sleiper, and I will talk to you guys next week on Amazing Avenue Audio.
This podcast has very quickly gone from panicking about trying to make a wildcard spot to decidedly not panicking about that anymore because it's done. So I guess in theory this segment's kind of moot, which is not a great thing for me to be realizing live on air right now. But really all that's left, I don't even want to say they're gonna, you know, they want to try to lose out, but at this point it's about selling off the pieces and trying to retool for next year. And I guess, yeah, I mean, I guess in theory they should be trying to just lose as many and try to get a better draft pick next year. Because the wins aren't going to matter this year anymore, folks. And I know myself, and I think I know a lot of you, or Mets fans in general, and we're all going to stick with this team for the next however many games are left, because we're masochistic at best. But it's not about winning anymore, and... He's got fingers crossed that Sandy Alderson's going to pull some magic and actually get some pieces back. Because that's all that we're looking forward to now for this 2017. folks that does it for another installment of amazing avenue audio thank you so much for listening we appreciate it we would also appreciate it if you went over to apple podcasts and rated reviewed and subscribed to our show those three things help us quite a bit uh, as do ratings and subscriptions in other podcatchers like stitcher or wherever you get your podcasts or if you're really old school and you just want to download the file you can do that directly at blogtalkradio.com you can also go to AmazingAvenue.com to find all sorts of Mets content, game threads, uh, analysis, Monday morning Mets mind bogglers, all sorts of really fun stuff. So go to AmazingAvenue.com and check that out. And also find Amazing Avenue on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Amazing Avenue. Much like this week, you can email our show, and we do love having your emails, at uh, podcast at AmazingAvenueAudio.com. Those do uh, really make us happy to answer. So please keep sending them in, especially some of the weirder ones. Let's get weird, folks. Right? Why not? And uh, you can follow all of our contributors on Twitter. I am at Brian Needs a Nap. Chris is at Chris McShane. Kate is at Kate E. Feldman. Steve is at Steve Saipa. Brian Wright is at Brian Wright 86. And Aaron York is at Aaron P. York. So the Mets had a good night last night. Let's hope they have a good night tonight. And many good nights until we speak next. So until then, let's go next.